Good morning, church. Uh, it's a joyous occasion, amen? You know, um, it's not just joyous here on earth, but in heaven, okay, the angels are celebrating, right? Praise the Lord. And uh, just to share a little bit, um, I know every baptism candidate, they have their story, individual story to tell of how they came to faith. Uh, but I'll just highlight two, all right? The first one is none other than Pati. Okay, you know, um, Pati. He first heard the gospel through his stepmother in Malaysia. You know, his stepmother was a very fervent, committed Christian. Shared Christ with him, prayed for him, and told him that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Right, and uh, he. It was only after he came to Singapore, and by God's divine uh, sovereign provision, he ended up working here in Kus. Okay, as one of our uh, janitors. And over the years, he got to know us, we got to know him, and he had the opportunity to hear the preaching of God's Word, right? Uh, working here in the very house of God. And and over time, all right, he decided that, yes, I want to be baptized. I want to follow Christ, all right? So let's praise God for that. <clears throat> yeah. And actually, he's supposed to be baptized uh, at the last baptism service. He couldn't because he, he, he had COVID, all right? Yeah, but I encouraged him, you know, many of us encouraged him, prayed for him, say, you know, the next one is not too far away, you know, hang in there. And yes, finally today, we get to see him uh, baptized, you know, and uh, following Christ. And the other person I want to share uh, is Elvina. Elvina, where are you? Just, just with your hand. Yeah. <clears throat> now, I think many, many, uh, quite some time ago, there was a weekend where Reverend Chris Ho was preaching, okay? And for some reason, he only felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to give an altar call for salvation. That means for those who are not Christians, but you would like to follow Christ, you know, uh, and invite Jesus into your life. He felt led to do that only for the Saturday service, and he didn't do that for the Sunday 8.30 and 9.45 service. And later on, we found out that Elvina happened to be at the Saturday service. And how she ended up at the Saturday service was she took a wrong bus. Uh, and that brought her to outside Church of Our Saviour. And when she saw Church of Our Saviour, you know, she felt very prompted to go to church and attend service. Okay, and when she did that, she heard Reverend Chris Ho preach and gave the, the altar call for salvation. And then, and then she gave her life to Christ. And she's here today being baptized. So we praise God for that. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. You know, church, God is doing amazing things. You know, every other week, alright, in our midst and through us. Okay, there's so many stories that we don't have time to share with you, but I want to assure you, God is moving, alright, He's doing amazing things in our midst. So let's continue to pray, let's continue to serve, let's continue to, you know, just jump right in, okay, and uh, be, be partners with God, alright, don't be, don't, don't be a hindrance, right, be a partner with God, you know, and be a partaker of what God is doing. Amen. Now, <clears throat> um, for some of you who do not know, I am uh, not Pastor Daniel Teo, I'm Pastor Mark Teo. Okay, I just needed to say this and settle this once and for all because from time to time, he gets mistaken for being me, I get mistaken for being him. Okay, so actually he's supposed to be preaching this weekend. He did yesterday at the Saturday service, but he could not uh, today because he's not well. Alright, so I am here. And um, <clears throat> now, we are starting 
Uh, but before that, I want to look the Lord in prayer, shall we do that? Let's, let's pray, okay? Thank you, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you that we can come before you this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. We get it as your people in your presence, that we can you know, encounter you, we can fellowship and commune with you, and we can hear your word, Lord. And Lord, we pray and ask that your Holy Spirit will be here you know, to lead and guide us into all truth and to illumine your word to us. Yes, Lord. So that, Lord, we can walk in a manner that is worthy of you and, Lord, we can fulfill your purpose for us in our life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, we are starting a new sermon series on a New Testament book, uh, the Epistle of First John. Okay? Now, there are a few key themes that are repeated throughout First John. So it's better to base this sermon series on those themes, okay, instead of according to the chapters. So it's a three-part series. Uh, and the, the episode is very short. I encourage you for the next three weeks, okay, spend some time to read it. Okay, some time to read it. It's, it's very easy to read. It's very short only. And, and I want you to kind of like highlight or underline, right, uh, key themes that you find being repeated throughout First John. Okay, and then see what, what you discover. Okay, yeah. So a three-part sermon series beginning uh, this weekend where I will be talking about uh, walking in the light. Walking in the light and... The following week will be by Pastor Chris Young, where he will talk about what it means to not love the world, to not love the world. And then uh, the next, the week after that, will be Pastor Kim Young, who will share with us on love and deeds, love and deeds. So let me kickstart by giving a, a bit of an introduction. All right. Now, the author of First John is the Apostle John, also known as the son of Zebedee in the Synoptic Gospels. Now, he's the author. He's also the author of the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. Now, it's difficult to date with precision, but many factors indicate that this uh, letter of 1 John was written probably around the end of the first century, around AD 90. And the audience, who is the audience that John was writing to? Okay, we cannot also confirm, uh, but generally it is agreed that it is the congregation of the church in, found in Asia Minor or modern day Turkey, especially the city of Ephesus where John spent considerable amount of time there. Okay, but it doesn't really matter. Okay, this, this is the word of God. Okay, it's meant for all believers, for the wider church. Now, what, what, what was John's purpose in writing 1 John? <clears throat> there are two. Okay, the first purpose John had in mind was to expose false teachers. Right? Number two. John wrote in order to give believers the assurance of salvation in Christ. And, very important, right? And what it means to be saved. What it means to be saved. So what false teaching was being propagated by these false teachers? Basically, it's the idea that the spirit is entirely good while matter or the material world, including this physical body, is entirely evil. Right, anything that is spirit is good. Anything that is material, including physical body, is evil. Now, many Bible scholars believe that what John was dealing with here is the beginning of Gnosticism, okay, which became more developed later on, which is the teaching or the belief that anything spirit is good or that is material, physical, is bad, is evil. Right? These false teachers... So you, you can see that it, it poses a problem, right, for 
our Christian faith. <clears throat> it strikes at the fundamental beliefs of our Christian faith. Because these false teachers say that Jesus did not come in the flesh, but was a ghost-like spirit residing in a human shell or appears to be human. Now, this seriously undermines the gospel message and the power of the gospel to save. Because, one scholar says, and I quote, our salvation, listen carefully, our salvation is dependent on Jesus' full identification with us in our humanity. Let me repeat that. Our salvation is dependent on Jesus' full identification with us in our humanity. For Jesus had to become what we are in order to make us what he is. So if Jesus did not take on full humanity while still retaining his divinity, he cannot save and redeem us from our sins and give us new life through making a new creation, you know, through making us a new creation in him. That's the first false teaching. The second false teaching was that believers have reached a state of sinless perfection, or rather, they do not regard the sins that they commit as sinful. Again, these are very Gnostic ideas. That is why these people uh, believe that, since they believe that only the spirit is good, right, and the material is evil, so you can do whatever you like with your physical body. It doesn't really matter. You know, that's why, you know, they indulge with no restraint every sinful carnal desire and pleasure. Because the body is evil anyway. So it doesn't really matter, it's irrelevant. Only the spirit is good. So you can see how problematic that is and how um, incoherent it is with scripture and the Christian faith. And that's why John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, where he says this, No one who abides in him, God, sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. And in verse 9 of chapter 3, he says, No one who is born of God practices sin because God's seed abides in him. God's life abides in him. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. Now that does not mean that a Christian will, not, will never sin again after becoming a Christian or being baptized. No, that's not what he says. He says, no one who is born of God practices sin. That's the key. The key word there, practices sin. That means, if you are truly born again as a believer, as a Christian and a follower of Jesus Christ through baptism, you, your life will change radically. You will not continue to practice or walk and live in a lifestyle of sin. You will turn 180 degrees and walk and practice and pursue a lifestyle of righteousness and obedience to God. Which is not a very smooth road because you will stumble and fall into sin from time to time. But each time you do, you come before God, right? and ask him to forgive you, and then you continue. Your trajectory, your general trajectory is towards righteousness, reflecting the new life in Christ, not, not the other way, not to continue in a lifestyle of sin. <clears throat> now, it's noteworthy that these false teachers, which John was dealing with, 
as did Paul, had to deal with in Galatians, and Jesus had to deal with the scribes and Pharisees, they did not come from outside the church, but within the church. They are not pagans or unbelievers. These false teachers come from within the church. So be careful. Not every teaching, preaching you listen, you hear is uh, in line with the Word of God. You know, I think, who, who was it? I think it was Charles Spurgeon, I cannot remember, who say this, that... Um, let me try to recall what he said. Um, the, the difference between, you know, true, truth and nearly true, okay, it's the ability, the ability to discern truth and nearly truth is called discernment. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, I will get it right. Um, so, and it seems also that for John, it is not just the content that constitute false teaching, but the fruits that results from that teaching. Okay, because in, in chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John says, By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. So how do we know that we are safe? It's not just by believing in the right set of beliefs, although that is very important, but also that we practice righteousness and we love one another. The first point of my sermon is walking in true fellowship. Walking in true fellowship. Let us read you know, the text, the first four verses of our text today. First John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4 on the screen. Okay, together, 1, 2, 3. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Amen. Now, do you realize that this is very similar to the prologue of John's Gospel? Yes? In the beginning of John's Gospel, it's not surprising, right? Because it's written by the same author, right? What did John write in the prologue of John's Gospel? In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt. The word dwell means tabernacled among us. We have seen and beheld his glory. So very similar language Paul, uh, John was, was using in, in 1 John. Right? That basically he's trying to emphasize that Jesus is divine. He existed before time and the creation of the world. And Jesus took on human flesh. You know, he uses very emphatic language. You know, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, Jesus. Now, what we have seen <clears throat> with our eyes and what we have looked at, 
seem like a, a repeat, right? Like a, it's kind of repetitive, like a double mention of the same thing, right? So was John being uh, long-winded, like how often my wife and my children will complain that I'm very long-winded because I will tell them the same thing in multiple ways, in different ways, you know, multiple times, you know, because it's an occupational hazard. I forgot that they are not my congregation. They are my family. I shouldn't be operating in the teaching kind of a gift. Okay, I should just talk to them plain language, like, like a normal human being. So was John being uh, long-winded and repetitive? No. When he say, you know, what we have seen with our, with our eyes, basically he's talking about physical sight. You know, you just see only. But when he says what we have looked at, it is stronger. It means to gaze, to behold, to examine something or someone until you have grasped the significance of that thing or that person. You see, that is a problem with a lot of the characters that are portrayed in the gospel. They see, they hear, but they don't get it. Right? Very few in the gospel who see and who heard Jesus, they caught it. And you'll be surprised who those characters are. Many of them got no name one, you know. The woman with the, the blood flow, the woman who anointed him, right? With the alabaster jar. And the Syrophoenician women, who is a Gentile and pagan, you know. But interestingly, they're all women. What happened to all the men? So John is basically taking pains to say that he, along with the rest of the apostles, have personally encountered and experienced Jesus. So he's bringing his apostolic witness of Christ to bear on his audience. Now, John, you have to understand a little bit about John to appreciate this. Okay, John is lived in close proximity and intimacy with Jesus. Right, where during Jesus' earthly ministry. In fact, among see among the twelve disciples, there was another uh, three who was the inner circle of Jesus. Do you know who these three are? Uh, Peter, James, and John. Thank you. John was one of the inner circle of Jesus. And even within this inner circle of three, the closest to Jesus was John. Was John. Right? John was described as the, Je- the disciple whom Jesus loved in John's gospel and as the, the disciple who leaned on Jesus' breast, on his chest, at the Last Supper, where he whispered to Jesus, who's the one, who is the identity of the one who's going to betray you? Jesus told him. It was Judas Iscariot by dipping in Judas uh, the, 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 the sauce or whatever that is. Right? So John is so close and intimate with Jesus that Jesus will share these kind of secrets with him and that Jesus, even while he was hanging on the cross, he entrusted his earthly mother, Mary, to John to take care. Right? When he was hanging on the cross, he told John, Behold your mother, and he told his mother, behold your son. Now, you don't do that kind of thing unless you're very close to that person, you trust that person a lot. So John is someone <clears throat> who is very close to Jesus and very intimate with Jesus. And so he can testify that Jesus was not some ghost-like spirit who appeared to be human, but that Jesus truly came in the flesh, in human form. And that is why he wrote at the end of his gospel in John 20, an account where Jesus appeared second time to his disciples and Jesus specifically zoomed in onto Thomas, who was doubting, right? 
that Thomas come touch my hand and my side, know, you know, that I'm real. You know, Jesus in his resurrected body. And immediately, Thomas fell down and worshipped him, saying, my Lord, my God. And of course, at the end of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24 of Luke, Jesus appeared to his disciples and he asked them, have you got anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in front of them. You see, a ghost or a spirit cannot eat fish. Yeah, you know that, right? I mean, these people, they may not be as technologically advanced as us, but they are not stupid. They can tell between a spirit, a ghost, and a human being. Okay? First John 1, 3-4. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be complete. Now, John is proclaiming the message of Christ, the gospel, okay, to his Christian audience, so that by believing, they may have fellowship with them, and together, they may all have fellowship with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what is fellowship that is meant here in Scripture? What is fellowship? What is the meaning of fellowship that is meant here in Scripture? Is basically based on our common faith and belief in Christ, in the gospel of Christ, in who Christ is. Right? Which, <clears throat> in the early church, he was encapsulated in the what is known as the Apostles' Creed and later on the Nicene Creed. Baptism candidates, you are familiar with this because I taught you that at baptism class. Right? And we just sang it just now, didn't we? The creed in a song, right? And I read to you, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And together we say, Amen. Amen. That's right. That's what you believe. That's what, that's what the candidates believe when they were baptized. Before they were baptized, they have to profess their faith. We believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life. That is a very, very summarized and uh, truncated version of the Apostles' Creed. Right? Now, the word Catholic there does not refer to the Roman Catholic Church, right? The Roman Catholic Church didn't come about until many, 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 long, a few hundred years later, okay? The word Catholic means universal. That means the church universal throughout all time and history, you know? So, so we can only have fellowship with one another when we have faith, when we share the same common faith as, as, as encapsulated in the Apostles' Creed, in Christ. In other words, we cannot have fellowship with the world, with a non-believer. No, I know we, not, we like to use the word fellowship very loosely to refer to hanging out, you know, um, having a meal together, so on and so forth. But that is uh, socializing, not fellowship in the scripture sense of the word. 
You see, we can share a lot of things in common with a non-believer. We can be one with them in interests, in hobbies, intellectually, emotionally, and even physically, but not spiritually, because they do not believe in Christ, which you do believe. That's why Scripture teaches us that we cannot be unequally yoked with non-believers, either in a business partnership or in a marriage relationship. You can be one with a non-believer in mind, in emotion, in hobby, in whatever, but not in spirit, because you do not share the same faith in Christ. Now, our fellowship is not just with one another, but with God, the Father, and with Jesus Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. What did it cost you to come to church today? What did it cost you to come to church today? Yeah. You had to what? You had to wake up, right? You had to wake up early in the morning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It cost you, you know, some amount of sleep. You know, it cost you your time. You had to get ready, right? You had to get dressed up, you know, put on your best because you want to honor God, right? Instead of coming shabbily, you know, in your outfit, you know, and uh, you had to, you know, Prepare yourself, get ready. You, you have to bear the cost of uh, taking grab, right? The grab fee or petrol if you drive. You know, you had to probably forgo, you know, that breakfast time. Maybe you didn't even have time for breakfast or you have to forgo hanging out with friends, you know, going fishing early in the morning, things like that. Okay? Every week we all gather here, you know, as a spiritual family made up of different, you know, ethnic background, uh, and, uh, you know, different backgrounds, so on and so forth. And the reason we are able to gather here as the people of God is because of Jesus Christ. In other words, whatever it is that costs you and I to come here today so that we can fellowship with God and with one another cannot be compared with what it costs God in order to make all this possible. You know what it costs Him? It cost him his son, Jesus Christ, in order to make it possible for us to come together as his people, to fellowship with him and to fellowship with one another. Romans 5, verse 8 to 11, But God demonstrated his own love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So instead, can I, can I, can I lovingly encourage and exalt you that instead of complaining about having to come to church, sometimes, sometimes we do that, myself included, okay? Um, because we are tired, you know, we're busy, all this kind of thing. Instead of complaining, let us strive to come and gather together as His people with a thankful heart, with eagerness to gather as God's people, both to fellowship with Him and to fellowship with one another. And, and we owe each other a debt of love to do that. Okay, Because we don't just come together so that you know, we can have our needs met. God can touch me. God can answer my prayer. God can, you know, speak to me. That's, that's important. That's good and great. But we come also so that we can be a blessing to one another. We can, 
bear one another's burdens. We can encourage one another, pray for one another, help one another. Right. So let us, let's not, let's not, you know, let, let not our Christianity be a very consumeristic kind of Christianity. Right. When we come together for church service like this, it's just all about me, I, me, and myself. It's also about the Lord. You come here to honor Him. You also come here to love your brother and sister in Christ. Right. To bear their burdens. And to show generosity to one another. No, no, that's what baptism means, right? We, we just witnessed the baptism of the 10, 13 candidates today. You know, where, and we welcome them into the family of God. You know, that's what baptism means. It's not just to be baptized into Christ, it's to be baptized into the family of Christ. So, number one, walking in true fellowship. It's not just about, walk, we can only walk in true fellowship with one another when we believe, okay, in the same thing. You know, we share our common faith in Christ. When we believe in the right things, okay, okay, uh, about about God and about Jesus. But also, when we walk in the light, which is my second point. My second point: walking in the light. First John chapter one verse five to seven. This let's let's read. This is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him, God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see, true fellowship with God and with one another is contingent not just upon right beliefs, subscribing to the right beliefs, but walking, but upon walking in the light. Now, what does walking in the light here means? Walking in the light here does not mean that we are sin, we, we have, a, you know, attained sinless perfection. No, it does not mean that. Otherwise, the second half of verse 7, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us of, from all sin would be without meaning, right? It would be meaningless. Why is there a need to cleanse us from all sin if we have, if walking in the light means, uh, walk, walking in sinless perfection? The, pro- the context provides the answer. That in verse 6 it says, if we say that we have fellowship with God and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Actually, it's a parallel to verse 8 where we say, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, walking in the light means humility. To walk in humility, in honesty before God where we acknowledge our sin before God when we have sinned. When we have sinned, we do not rationalize, we do not excuse ourselves, but we agree with God. We call sin, sin. We acknowledge our sin before God. That is walking in the light. That is humility. See, God is light. In Him, there is no darkness. In other words, God is truth. Because when you turn on the light, you can see everything clearly, right? You can see the truth, right? God is truth. There is no lie, falsehood, or deceit in Him. Those who claim to belong to Him should Live likewise as a lifestyle. Walking in the light. See, if we walk in the darkness, we cannot have fellowship with God or with one another. So it's not just what you believe, it's how you live. How you live. You know, a a so-called believer or Christian, okay, 
Maybe even baptized. Maybe even attending church for many years. Or maybe even serving. But if he or she is not walking in the light, but walking in the darkness, you know what? We, or even though they are Christian by name, there's no true fellowship. There can be no true fellowship. Okay, think about that. Think about that. Okay. First John chapter 1, verse 9 to 10. If we confess our sins, which I'm going to my third point already, okay? If we confess our sins, he is faithful. Well, read it together, can on the count of three. One, two, three. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, when we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My third point is this, walking in grace. So first point, walking in true fellowship. Second point, walking in the light. And third point, walking in grace. Walking in grace. Now, have you ever wondered why do I still struggle with sin after I become a Christian? How many of you still struggle with sin after becoming a Christian? Okay, good. Many hands. Then the rest of you not walking in the light. Eh? <laughs> yeah, you're walking in darkness. Eh? <laughs> not being honest. Okay? I know you do, alright? You're just too lazy to raise your hand. You see, if you still struggle with sin after becoming a Christian and being baptized, okay, I want to say to you, congratulations. Say to your neighbor, congratulations. You know? Because the fact that you are struggling with sin is evidence that you are walking in the light. You're trying to follow Christ. Because before, in your old life, you don't even struggle. You just walk in sin like nobody's business, right? And you don't even know. That's what it means to be in the darkness. But now that you have been saved out of darkness into the light and you're walking in the light, you know, you, know, you struggle with sin. Because why? The Holy Spirit is in you now. Right? The Holy Spirit will prompt you. The Holy Spirit will warn you. The Holy Spirit will convict you when you do something wrong. The Holy Spirit will guide you and empower you and tell you, don't do this, do that. Don't go this way, go that way. Right? Of course, you must choose to obey. Lah. You don't obey, then there's a different story. Lah. Okay? Now, instead of using the word struggle, I prefer to use the word fight. You know? Because we have the victory by the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. So I want you to see it as a fight. As a fight. And you know what? That's what baptism means also. You know, today, the message and baptism well, is together one, uh, very in line one. Okay, Praise the Lord. <laughs> help me. Help me. So this is a perfect uh, sermon illustration uh, for my sermon today. All right. Why? Because what did the baptism candidates, what did, they, um, what did the vows that they make? I turn to Christ, I repent of my sin. And the third, the third vow they make was, I renounce, three things they renounce, right? The devil, the world, and the carnal desires of the flesh. This is the fight of the Christian. This is the warfare of the Christian. The moment you are baptized, you die to your old life of sin, the moment you come up from the water, you're risen with Christ to a new life that is growing, that is walking in righteousness, growing in righteousness and holiness, and your battle and your warfare is against these three things. The devil, 
the ways of the world and the carnal desires of the flesh. So if you think you are a Christian and you are even baptized, attending church and even serving in church, but you are not waging warfare against these three things, you are walking in these three things, I tell you, you are in a very dangerous position. You're a very dangerous position. I say that in love. Okay? I say that in love. Can I invite the worship team up on stage? Okay, time has really run. Can I invite the worship team on stage? Yes, thank you. Now, my third point, walking in grace. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness basically means all sin, right? Parallel the previous verse, you know, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, why do we need to confess our sin? Actually, the idea is taken from the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21, where the high priest, Aaron, is asked by God that he shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, the scapegoat, and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. So what you're doing when you confess your sin, right, is basically you're transferring your sins onto Christ. Yeah. Christ was the scapegoat for you and me. And secondly, why do we need to confess our sins? Is what I've already been saying. Humility. Humility, where we humble ourselves and we agree with God and acknowledge our sin before Him. You know, it's simple to understand this truth, but it's not simple to live it out. You know that? Because why? We have pride. Sometimes we have pride. We have pride. We don't, we don't want to acknowledge that we are wrong, that there's a problem and an issue in our life, in our heart. Because we're always blaming, you know, we're blaming my wife, I'm blaming my children, I'm blaming my colleague, I'm blaming my, you know, church member, I'm blaming the pastor, I'm blaming the whole world. Basically, you blame everything and everybody, but you never take responsibility for your own attitude and action. But when we do, when we humble ourselves in humility, we walk in the light and we agree with God and acknowledge our sin before God, God, and confess it, God is faithful and just. Say it with me, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Why is God faithful? He's faithful to His promises. God is the promise-keeping God. Why is God righteous or just to forgive us of our sin? Because the penalty of our sin has already been borne by Jesus. That is why God can forgive us and still be righteous and just. I don't know about you, I think that is good news. Amen? That is the good news of the gospel. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All eyes closed, all heads bowed. I want to address two groups of people here today. The first group of people, you know, you may be a Christian, maybe even baptized, attending church, or even serving in church for a long, long time, many, many years, but you're not. You know, you know, okay? 
God is speaking to you today, you know you're not walking in the light, you're walking in the darkness. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. It's time to come out of the darkness and start walking in the light. It's time to humble ourselves before God to repent of all our wrongdoing and confess our sin in order that God might forgive us and cleanse us of all our sin and all unrighteousness and that we might have true fellowship with Him and with one another. Or maybe you're not a Christian, but you're here today and you heard this message. It's not a coincidence. God meant for you to be here and to hear Him speak to you through His Word and through the preaching of His Word. Right? You're not a Christian, but today you feel the Holy Spirit, is, you feel God is speaking to you and tugging at your heart. Right? And calling you to come to Him, to follow Jesus, to repent like the Baptist candidates, you know, to turn to Christ and repent of your sins, right? To turn away from your old life of sin and to turn to God and to start following Christ, where He will give you the power to live the life which you are not able to live like Christ did. If that is you, you want to invite Jesus into your life, okay? Whether you are a Christian that is walking in darkness, but today you want to come back to the Lord and walk in the light, or you're not a Christian, but you want to, you want to follow Christ. You want to be a Christian and follow Christ. You just put your hands up in the air right now, okay? All across this place. Anybody? Is there anyone? Anyone? And I'd like to, yes, I see that hand. You put it down. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay? If that is you, okay, I ask you to follow me in this prayer. Okay? Even if you have not put up your hand, but you want to pray that prayer, you just follow after me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, why wouldn't you just pray together, all, right, all of us? Lord Jesus, I come before you today. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I turn to you. I repent of my sins. I confess all my sins before you. Forgive me of all my sins. I want to follow you. Give me the power of the Holy Spirit to follow you. To live a new life in righteousness in you. I pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The second group of people I want to address is on the other extreme end, whereby you feel so condemned under crushing, under the weight of guilt and shame because of your sin. So much so that you want to walk away from God. You want to run away from God. You know what? I have good news for you. You know, when God says, if you confess our sins, He forgives us of our sins. You know what, you know what that means when He say He forgives us of our sins? It means that He wants us to come back to Him, not run away from Him. Because when He forgives us of our sins, He's reconciling us back to Himself, our relationship with Him. Right? When Adam and Eve fell, they went hiding. They felt guilt and shame and they went hiding. And you know what was God doing? God was looking for them and calling out to them, Adam, where are you? God is calling out to you now. So don't let your guilt and shame drive you away from God. Let it drive you back to God. Because He is the loving Father who is waiting every day looking at the horizon for the prodigal son and daughter to come home. And he's waiting for you to come back to him today. If that is you, always close all his bow. If that is you, you know, you want to run back to God, 
and not away from Him, no matter how, how much of a guilt or shame you feel, all eyes closed, all heads bowed, nobody looking around, alright, just lift up your hand in the air and I'll pray for you. Anyone? 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 Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. So Father, I pray for all my brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling with guilt and shame because of sin. I ask you to send your Holy Spirit upon them right now. Yes, Lord. Where, Lord, where they were, they shed abroad the love of God the Father in their hearts, Lord. They will experience the forgiving love, the loving kindness of God, you know, that washes away all the shame and all the guilt and takes away every condemnation. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes, you forgive them, you heal them, you restore them, you cleanse them. Lord, you give them a new heart, you give them new desires, Lord, that wants to obey you, that wants to walk in a way that pleases you. And you restore them and reconcile them back to yourself. And let, you, let your Holy Spirit witness to them in their spirit that they are children, their sons and daughters of God. That nothing in all creation can ever separate them from the love of God which is theirs in Christ Jesus. So bless them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Can we all rise to our feet? Time has gone. Uh, and we will close with a song, alright? And then with a benediction. Shall we do that? <clears throat> yes. Let's sing the song. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. thanksgiving in our heart for the precious blood of Jesus. Thank you.
Let's lift up our hands for the benediction. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you evermore. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Walk in true fellowship, in the light, and in grace. Amen.